We're thankful that you're here, and you know that I'm in the middle of starting a new sermon series, uh, which I've entitled, What We Believe and Why. What We Believe and Why. This is part two of that series, and you can go back on the website uh, to check part one. But the point of this is to give you the principal issues of theology that we base Christianity on and what we stand for as a church. You need to know this as you go out and speak to a lost world. This is critical. And so we're going to do this every week for the next eight weeks. And today, the title of this sermon is The Essence of God. And I love that song we closed with there at the first part of the service. Holy, holy, holy. Touches my heart deeply. And so the study of of God has never been more important uh, to our world, and they have never needed it more than today. In our present culture, you see, there, are, there is much biblical illiteracy among Christians. All you have to do is go on television and listen to some of these televangelists and watch some of these church programs, and you will be stunned to see the level of biblical illiteracy. People are ignorant about God. They are ignorant about the Bible, but God holds us to a higher standard. And so it's critical today, and as we go forward, especially as a church, uh, that you have a proper understanding of theology and that you can deliver it to a lost world. And so first of all, as you come to understand the essence of God, God is sovereign. Another way to say this in the same way is to use the term divine providence. Not only does God know everything, but he also controls everything. God is able to do what he wants, when he wants, wherever he wants, because he is sovereign. Uh, It is not up to a vote. Uh, God is a majority of one. And so if we look at the scriptures to give us a greater understanding of this, look at Psalm 115, verse 3. As you'll see it on the screen. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. That sums it up. Our God is in heaven. And he does whatever pleases him. And so the question for us is, are you aligned to his will? Are you walking with him? Are you serving him in the way that he wants? Even the pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, and you know the story of Nebuchadnezzar who was forced by God to spend seven years out in the woods as an animal uh, because of his arrogance and finally delivered. Here's what Nebuchadnezzar says about God in Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. Remember, this is a pagan speaking. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven. And the peoples of the earth, no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? That's a pagan saying that. Uh, And that is why many theologians believe that Nebuchadnezzar came to faith and understood the power of God. And when you get to heaven, I believe you will see Nebuchadnezzar. And so it comes down to this, as we understand this. When we say that God is sovereign, do we fully understand that? It means he's the master, and we are the servants. 
He is the potter, and we are the clay. He is the vine, and we are the branches. He is the giver of life, and we are the recipients. Quite frankly, God does whatever he pleases, whenever he pleases, without asking the permission of anyone. He does not have to explain his rationale. Now, this does not mean that we understand everything that God does. Often, we do not understand everything. And yet, whatever he allows, we need to understand he allows for a good purpose. God has his plans and his purposes. Uh, And they become clearer to us with the passage of time and as we get closer to the cross. There are some happenings in your life that you never really truly understand, yet they will become focused and clearer to you as time will go by. And God will make that clearer to you. You must remember this. God is good, and he is God. Whatever he does, he loves you in every possible way. Now, as we understand the various essences of God and the characteristics of God, the first thing we need to understand is God is truth. He is the embodiment of truth. Uh, And what he proclaims true is true. And what he declares false is false. Jeremiah 10, verse 10 says, The Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. And in John 17, 3, Jesus declared about God, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus is the veritable personification of God. If you want to know who God is, what God looks like, how God acts, you look at Jesus Christ. He is the veritable personification of God. God is the final court of arbitration. There is no vote. Uh, You can't go any higher than God. There is no other appeal as we understand it. And as Peter said, when Jesus said to him, as other disciples were leaving, and Jesus said, are you going to go also? And Peter said this in John 6, verse 68, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe, and we know you are the Holy One of God. And I believe that's what each and every one of you needs to say today. We believe God. We know who you are. You are our God and Father. To whom else would we go? We have no other place to go. And so another characteristic of God is this. God is holy, 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 holy. He is holy. In the book of Isaiah, we read how the prophet had a glimpse of the holiness of God uh, in a striking set of verses. And as he had it, he still lived to tell about it, which is extraordinary. This is in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, verse 1. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, 
Holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's the essence of God the Father. That's the essence of his holiness. And you need to get that image. And there the prophet was struck with that image. Look, the mighty angels of God declared God's holiness. And the fact that this is in Scripture is important for you to understand. Uh, Because God is holy, he hates sin. And you need to make that mindful every day of your life as you go outside of his will and do things that you know are not within his will. God abominates sin. Look at what Paul charged Timothy with. This is found in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 21. And you see the importance here uh, of understanding the holiness of God. I charge you, Paul said, in the sight of God, in Christ Jesus, and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead And in view of his appearing and his kingdoms, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Church, that's the acknowledgement and charge God gives each of us today. Preach the word. Yes, you may not be a preacher, but God expects you to preach the word as you go one-on-one to a lost world. Give them the word of God. Instruct them with the word of God. This is what God expects. Our responsibility, you see of representing a holy God uh, and declaring his truth in a dark world is not a task to be taken lightly. Now also, as we drill down on the essence of God, we understand that he's righteous and just. Holiness describes God's character, while righteousness and justice describe how he deals with humanity. We are told, for instance, in Psalm 11, verse 7, for the Lord is righteous, he loves justice, and he does. And so I would say to you today, if you are burdened by what you see going on in Israel, and you see the loss of innocence over there in Israel, take heart, the Lord is just. Those evildoers will not escape the justice of God. They will not Understand that. And as you pray that God does his will in this earth, yes, he sees those who do good, but he also sees those who do evil. In Exodus, a great example of this, we have the account of the plague of hail. And then the words coming from the mouth of Pharaoh, quote, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and I and my people are in the wrong. Imagine that. He came to say that. That was Exodus chapter 9, verse 27. And yet, he would not stay with that insight of righteousness as he would go out and still seek to enthrall the Jewish people. Blessedly for us, God is righteous and powerful and sovereign. He will not misuse his power, but he will bring justice. And another great quality of understanding who God is is that God is good. In other words, he is the final standard of goodness. And all that he does is worthy of approval. He determines what is good and what is bad. Look at Psalm 34, verse 8. Taste 
and see that the Lord is good. In fact, it was the same God who declares himself to be good in Romans 8, 28. And again, one of my favorite verses in the Bible because it says that he causes all things to work together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. All things he calls. Yes, even those things that may not appear to be good, those things that may cause you anguish, yet God sees beyond eternity. He understands where you're going with your life, and so he has your veritable good in mind in everything that he brings to you. And so what is good? What is good? Well, God uses conflict and hardships and suffering to bring something of a measurable good to your life. Uh, Look at Psalm 119, uh, verse 67, as the psalmist speaks about the effect of hardships that God brings. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Similarly, after all he had been through, Job declared, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Job chapter 23, verse 10. Can you imagine a man who lost everything, all of his wealth, all of his possessions, all of his family, yet never, ever, ever cursing God, but constantly blessing him? Uh, And God saw that. He was a standard bearer that God used to define, this is a righteous man. Let us all fall into that category. Now think really about the most important lessons that you've learned in your life. Did they come when things were going well? You know, and I can speak really truthfully about this. You know, anytime I won a big case, the only thing I cared about was high-fiving. Give me a high-five. You understand? Yeah. Yeah, it's good to be me. It's good to win. You understand what happens with these victories? The natural arrogance of humanity bubbles up in your mind. All of a sudden, you don't see God. You see yourself. Yeah, give me a high five. But what happens when you lose, when it's painful, when your face is in the dirt? All right? And we've all been there. That's where we learn the most valuable lessons about ourselves and God. Because God is with you there in the dirt. God is with you there in the loss. God is with you as you go through hardship and suffering. He doesn't abandon you. And you understand this, that life isn't about you. It's about him. You understand? It's about him and everything. Tragedy, you see, reminds us that we can't go and do life without him. That's what tragedy reminds us. Sometimes we're a bit too arrogant. Uh, and we forget to acknowledge just who is in charge and who has given us life and who has blessed us in so many ways. Look, another great characteristic of God as we, as we devolve on this subject is God is love. The Bible defines God as love. He is not the Hollywood version of love. God's love is not fickle or not dependent about your physical ability or how attractive you are, but rather his love does not even hinge on our performance 
because he loves us even as we fail and fall and sin. He still loves us. Uh, And he has demonstrated that great love to us in a powerful way. Look at Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. As the scriptures say, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How about that? You weren't endearing or loving. You were outside of the will of God. You were dead men and women walking, and yet God loved you. And he sent his son to die on the cross for you. That's the great nature of the love of God. So how should all this affect me? What is the practical application today in my life as I study God and understand what what he means to me? Well, here are a few things for you to consider, especially as we leave church today and let this resonate with you. First, because God is truth, I need to be truthful. This may seem hard for me to preach to a church of godly people, but it's very easy not to be truthful. And God looks to see how you live your life. Are you living your life in a truthful way? The scripture tells us that lying lips are an abomination to God. In fact, there's a list of six things that God hates uh, dealing with falsehood and lying. You'll see it in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. These are the six things that the Lord hates. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Imagine that. That's the nature of what God abominates, that kind of characteristic, lying, false witness, stirring up falseness in a community, uh, pouring out lives, devising wicked schemes, uh, and a lying tongue, and even haughty eyes. Haughty eyes meaning what? The appearance of arrogance. You're an arrogant man or woman. I could see it in your eyes, and God sees it in your heart. And so here's the application. Here's the application. Because God is holy, I should seek to be holy. That's the standard. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. I love that last part of that. Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Why foreigners here? Because you're living in an evil world. You're a foreigner here in this world. Your passport says heaven. You got that? Your passport says heaven. So as my passport says heaven and I'm walking as a foreigner, I have to walk in holiness, and in the fear of God. Look, going back to that famous passage in Isaiah that we started with, where, where the, the prophet saw the Lord lifted up on a throne, high and lifted up, uh, what was his reaction at seeing this? And you'll see this in chapter 6 of Isaiah, verse 5. And what a powerful, what a powerful message this is. As he cries out, Woe is me, for I am undone. 
because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the essence of holiness. When you see a vision of God, you see the pure steam image of God, and then you look in the mirror and you see you, you fall on the floor, and you ask God to wash you and to forgive you because you recognize I'm not holy, and yet God sees your righteousness and fills you with righteousness and attaches you to the body of Christ and sees you through Christ, through the filtering lens of Christ. That is why you become holy. Look, in the same way for us today, when you're seeking to live a holy life, you usually are aware of how far you have to go to have that kind of life. The person who is seeking, truly seeking, to live a holy life will usually say, well, I'm a work in progress. And that's true. We are all a work in progress at God, as God uses the sanctification process for us. But perhaps Paul said it best after years of walking with God. What a great guy. Here he is. He's written two-thirds of the New Testament. And look what he says here in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I don't look at the past. I don't look at what I've done. I don't look to where I came from. I look at the cross. I look to where I'm going. I'm pressing for the prize. And that's what God wants you all to do. Press for the prize, for the holiness of Christ, to embrace the cross of Christ. Look, the term holy means really, in practical application, fully committed. If you are fully committed to God in every aspect of your life, then truly you are holy as God sees you through the filtering lens of Christ. In the book of Numbers, and this is a beautiful prayer, God gave the priests a blessing to pronounce over the people of Israel on a regular basis. And this is found in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. And I close every service with a part of this prayer. And it's beautiful. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is how we know that God cares about us. We need to unpack this small prayer. First, the Lord bless you. Understand that Jesus both began and ended his ministry continuing to bless the people. He would take the little children in his arms and bless them. Prior to his ascension into heaven, he blessed his disciples. It is no different for you today. Jesus is in heaven praying for you and blessing you. Believe me. The Lord keep you. The Lord keep you. We often worry about safety and security, but God will never forget or lose those to whom he loves. Many of us assume, because we live here in Naples, we have a right to live a long, relatively easy life and one day die peacefully at an advanced age. Those of us 
in Naples look at people that die under the age of 90 as if they were taken prematurely. <laughs> but here's the thing. There is no guarantee in the Bible as to how long you will live. The Bible doesn't make that promise. Our very life, our very breath that we draw into our lungs is a gift from God. Do you reflect on that? Every breath that you take is a gift from God. Even in an accident or illness or death, God will keep you. He will sustain you. When the day of our passing from this earth arrives, he will take you safely into his arms with every wound and take you into heaven. That's his promise. And then the prayer says, the Lord smile on you. The Lord smile on you. What a great feeling there is to know that the God of the universe is smiling as he looks at you. He smiles upon you even when you are less than you should be. And we are often less than we should be. Yet he continually wants to see you do well, to change you and transform you into becoming more like Christ. That's what this is all about. Jesus, Jesus wants you to be his brother and sister. God wants you to become more like Christ. And then the Lord be gracious unto you. Grace is God's unmerited favor. It is not something you have deserved or earned. The Lord is truly gracious to us. He pours his favor upon us because he loves us. The Lord looks at you with a smile as he pours that favor on you and grace. The God of the universe, believe it or not, is attentive to you. And finally, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. David described this perfectly in Psalm 139, verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts. God, how vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I am awake, I, st I am still with you. And then lastly, the Lord give you his peace. The Lord give his peace to you. There is no peace anywhere like the peace of God. Jesus told his disciples, peace, I leave with you my peace, not as the world gives you, uh, but let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That's in John 14, verse 27. That's what God has given you. Do not be afraid. The peace of God surrounds you. He is with you. He loves you. He cares for you. This is why you need to understand truly who God is. And so if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are safe in the arms of God. You can trust him. He's watching over you. He will bless you and smile on you and protect you until he brings you home with your loved ones in heaven. He is the God who cares. Now, God has clearly revealed himself to this lost world. Uh, he has. Uh, and he holds all the people accountable to that. You need to understand this as you spread this message. Look at Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. What does it mean? It means that someone living in the heart of a jungle who's never heard the name of God looks up at the sky and sees the sun, sees the moon, sees the planets, 
sees the stars and sees it all revolve around each other and understand that some great creative designer put it all together. That's how God speaks to those who have not heard the specific message. And moreover, everyone on earth who sees the stars, moon, and sunsets uh, has seen the creativity of God. Uh, Paul spoke about this in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. There are no excuses. And so now we see God through the clearest lens because now we see God through his son, Jesus Christ. That's who Jesus is. Jesus displayed every single character of God while he walked in this earth. If we do not meet Jesus Christ through the scriptures, we have missed the central reason for the Bible. If we have come to God with a humble and open heart, uh, the scriptures will testify in volumes about who he is. We see the divine evidence of Jesus as he walks after the crucifixion on the road to Emmaus with those disciples. And Jesus demonstrates that all of the scriptures were about him. And as they were about him, they are about God. And so nature will only give you a partial picture of who God is. When we see him most powerfully is through his word, the Bible. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And through him also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God in heaven. That's who Jesus is, the Son of God, the representation of God. You see him. You see him in the scriptures. You see him in the world. You see him in the sky, and you see him in your life through the Holy Spirit. Now, we need to be ever critical and mindful of the holiness of God and vigilant of the, of the holiness of God. You know, we criticize the Israelites in the Old Testament for their continued idolatry when God would punish them. You know, it's like every other chapter. They do something stupid and they go and worship a golden calf, right? And it never ends. There's another idol and God is constantly rebuking them and punishing them. But you see, we're just as bad today. We're no different. No, I understand. You don't have a golden calf out in your car, all right? You don't have that. But here's what you do have. You have a form of worship of money, of possessions, of family, of work, and myriad other things, which we can include even vacations, where you worship these things, where they take you away from your concentration on God. We worship by devoting our time and effort to these things at the expense of the God of the universe. This is a warning to us individually and as a church. We need to get back, get back to what God has determined what he wants us to be. We thus have pretended to reduce the Christian life to a formula. 
you know, if I say a few prayers in the morning or maybe read some Bible verses or even give some money away, we expect life to be good to us. Uh, Effectively, we believe we've done our part. Now, God, it's up to you. All right? Now it's God's turn. Uh, We have a checklist of expectations from God that we believe he must meet. In effect, we are worshiping our own happiness. This is not what God wants. God wants you to worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, We have reduced God to a servant, you see, who is supposed to attend to our personal agenda. We have reduced the God of the universe to a dispenser of peace, prosperity, and self-fulfillment. May God not let us do this. May, May we not do this. We need to constantly reflect on God's goodness and generosity as it leads us to repentance and faith. That's what God wants. He wants you to repent and walk in faithfulness. We need to recognize our wrong thinking and recognize that we need to thank him constantly for everything that he has given us day after day. When you get up in the morning, the first thing you should do is to thank God that he has given you the breath that he's given you, to thank you that he's given you the church that he's given you, the friends that he's given you, that he's given you enough money to take care of yourself, that he's given you health, and you need to thank him day after day after day to recognize that every breath that you breathe has been given to you by the God of the universe. We need to remember that no Good thing will God ever withhold from those of us who walk uprightly with him. You will never miss out, never miss out on any benefit that God has to give you in this life. This is how he expects you to live. And so walk with him, love him, worship him, be holy in him, make every step with him a step that will affect not only your life, but affect your family and affect the lost world. Amen, church? Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the message that you've given us, Father, as we begin to understand the nature of who you are. Father, we are so really overwhelmed by your holiness and your righteousness and your truthfulness. And Lord, we want to be like you in every way. We want you to make us like your son, Father. Give us the power to be able to walk like Jesus did. Give us the authority to have that kind of righteousness. Make us, Father, in every way the way you want to make us so that we can leave here and be a powerful representative to a lost world. We put all of this, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.